Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov slash careers. Welcome to Movie Film. This is episode three, brought to you by the fine folks at Mr. Boy Productions. My name is Zaki Hassan. I am joined, as always, by my good friends Sean Coyle. Hola. And Brian Hall. Hey there. Well, like I said, this is episode three. That was stupid, Brian. What? Oh, man. Already the the tension starts. Okay. Already the tension starts. (laughs) It's going to be one of those episodes. I'm calling you out this episode, Hall. Knuckle up. Let's see what happens. Knuckle up. I'll knuckle you. I'm calling you out, Coil. Uh, sh- should I leave? You want me to? You want me to come back once you've once you've handled this? Nah, we need a ref. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, this is episode three, as I said. Therefore, the trilogy is now complete. And uh, so, if recent movie history is any guide, we will be rebooting uh, for our next episode. I will be played by Samir from Office Space. Sean will uh, be played by Ryan Reynolds, and Brian will be played by Brian, because uh, why replace him? He, he works just fine. <laughs> and and um, uh, we, we don't know who will be directing, so we'll see how that goes. So so this is the our third installment, so we are either uh, Return of the Jedi or uh, Big Mama's 3, like father, like son, <laughs> depending on what people think of our show. <laughs> so... Uh, this is uh, this is uh, kind of exciting for me. I wanted to start off with this. I'm recording uh, on my brand new MacBook Pro. Hello. Yeah, because I, I've taken to heart some of the criticisms, or I would say the the constructive criticisms that people have had about uh, our issues with audio in the last few episodes. And after several nights of crying myself to sleep, racking sobs, I decided to to go to Best Buy and pick up a new. MacBook Pro. And, and of course, b- being Best Buy, I, I showed up there and I knew exactly what I wanted and I could not find anybody to help me because the customer service there is <laughs> god-awful. So I'm sure you guys have had this problem where you just stand there waiting. Uh, so, so, so literally, I spent about 10 minutes standing there waiting for somebody to get me the thing that I wanted. It wasn't even like, oh, help me find something. It was like, I want this. And so out of desperation, finally, I got out my, my iPhone and I went to the Best Buy site and I ordered the MacBook Pro on the Best Buy site and I, and I selected pickup in-store. What? <laughs> awesome. <laughs> and then I walked over to customer service and they gave it to me. <laughs> Suck it, Best Buy. Suck it. <laughs> Wow. Talk about 21st century shopping. Yeah. <laughs> That's, I, I mean, I, feel like, I felt like I was in a Woody Allen movie, and I was just, it, was, <laughs> it was just very strange. But uh, the, the nice thing is hopefully uh, it's, it's already easier to use, and, and I'm, I've got uh, Audacity firing in all cylinders here. So hopefully that works just fine, and, and we'll see how it goes. So, so I, my message to the audience is don't despair. We are genuinely trying to make sure our audio issues are accounted for and, and to make the, the listening experience as fun as hopefully the content uh, is. 
is because uh, we're certainly having fun putting the content out there. Yeah, but what does our audience know about anything? Okay, that's good. Well, what you, do you people know about anything? I, you know, what? I for one love our audience. <laughs> <laughs> hey guys, I love you. Thanks, it's Brian. It's back on, Brian. It's back on. Oh no, you started something, Hall. Suck it, Brian. I'll fight for our audience against this <laughs> thug. Again, against against the Biff Tannen that is that is Sean Coyle. You're all a bunch of buttheads. <laughs> and on that note, that's actually a good place to transition. I, I, I wanted to, to, to say on air, I wanted to thank uh, my, my friend Sean Coyle. He was very gracious and uh, uh, bought me tickets to see Huey Lewis and the News this past Damn week. Right. Uh, I, I think you guys went to see him too, if I'm not mistaken. We sure did. Yep. The uh, Greek Theater. Oh, man. Yeah, I, th- th- this is this was my very first concert ever. Was I got to go see Huey Lewis this past weekend uh, here in in the Bay Area at the the Sleep Train Pavilion in Concord. I went with my wife. It was also our anniversary, so my very first concert experience. I got to see Huey Lewis performing "Power of Love" live, and it was just one of those great experiences. I think Brian Hall. What did you say? Oh, I, I just said, uh, you know. I was when I was watching Huey perform "Power of Love." You know, I, I remembered back. Back to the Future is one of the first movies that I remember seeing in the theater, and so thinking about seeing it 27 years ago, and then now uh, watching "Power of Love" perform live, it was just a very, uh, you know, I had I had a moment. You had a little moment. Yeah, it, it, you know, it was something, and and it was interesting because just watching him play, watching him doing his thing. I what struck me is, you know, there's a lot of people who don't take Huey Lewis seriously. And, and who kind of rip on him for whatever reason. And it struck me like, you know, here he is. He's been doing his thing for 30-plus years. He's playing to a packed house. I mean, the crowd is just loving it. He's having a blast doing something he clearly loves. Who is anybody to say anything about anything? I totally agree. Yeah, you know, uh, our audience was really into it. In fact, our audience was so into it. Uh, <laughs> would you care to tell the tale, Sean? Well... Uh, let's see, about three songs into the set, this uh, group of, I don't know, it's, it's weird, every time I tell this story I refer to them as kids, because they looked like they were in their early 20s, and that's just weird calling them kids. Uh, but they, th- this group showed up, and they took up the entire row, two rows ahead of us, and they were all dressed like they were from the 80s. Like, they, they had, you know, neon-colored shirts, and their shirt collars were up, and they had funky sunglasses and headbands, and uh, the ringleader was... <laughs> His intentions were were good, but um, there was a girl in the group that he obviously had a thing for, so I think maybe he was trying a little too hard to be funny at times. So uh, in the middle of the show, he whips out this uh, bright pink inflatable electric guitar, and he's passing it around for people in the audience, you know, to, to do their own guitar solos. And even I did a guitar solo. But then he, at one point, he does his solo, and he throws the pink guitar up into the air, and it sails over my head, and it hits the guy behind me, and I, all of a sudden I'm just drenched in red wine. Wow. Oh, nice. All over his bright white shirt. Bright uh. white shirt. <laughs> so the guy and, behind you had a wine glass. Yes. And I, I mean, I could... <laughs> I mean, I don't, know what, uh, I don't know what my reaction looked like to, to, other, to other people there, Brian, but I mean, I just threw my arms up in the air like, what, you know, what am I going to do about that? No, you you handled it really well. There are some people that would not have handled it as well as you did. It's all it's all fun until somebody gets drenched with red wine. 
but it was cool. The guy behind me was nice and bought me a beer. He didn't have to do that. So that's you know you know what would have made that even greater if Huey Lewis himself came down from the stage. It was like, <laughs> hey guys, what's going on here? And then he brought you up, and and you had you you were able to perform a set with him. That would uh, I would have I would have kicked my dick off, as my boss Charlie Bean says. <laughs> That's like, that's like the dream. Sean, that's like the dream Sean would have, where he's like, "Wait, wait, come back, Huey Lewis," and then, and then Brian would walk by and be like, "Come back, Huey Lewis. Even even your dreams, even your dreams are lame." Well, I got I got teased. There were there were a lot of people at work because I made an announcement at work that you know Wednesday night I'm going to see Huey Lewis. I'm not working late. You know I'm leaving at this time. You know no questions asked. And I got, you know, there were some people that walked up to me that were like, oh, isn't that concert a little bit past their bedtime? <laughs> and people are like, Huey Lewis, do you actually have to pay for those tickets? <laughs> so to those people, I say again, a suck it. And man, it was such, such a fun time because I'd seen him before. I saw him back in 2001, which is crazy thinking that show was 11 years ago at the House of Blues in Chicago. And... At that show, as soon as they jumped out on stage, the lights come on, they, they go into their first track. Woman in front of me passes out cold. I'm not kidding. She passed out cold at a Huey Lewis concert. And I, it was just like a, a very vivid, defining moment in my life where I realized, like, I'm not crazy for thinking this guy's <laughs> awesome. I wasn't, I wasn't crazy when I was six years old and, and bought uh, Sports. The album Sports on tape was the first album, first tape I ever bought with my own money. You know, you sound like Sam Jackson at the end of Unbreakable right now. <laughs> I'm not a freak. It was Mr. the kids. Glass. It was the kids. They called me so, Mr. Glass. So I'm right. They're wrong. I win. Sean, I don't know if you remember this, but back when we were in high school, do you remember yeah. this when, when you called up uh, Steve Fisher? Oh, yeah. On, uh, what was it? Q101? Right? I think it was Q101, I believe. So, yeah. Yeah. The radio station, yeah. I called up Q101. We were at we were working on the newspaper, right? It was one of those That's those, right. uh, long Fridays trying to finish up the newspaper. So I called them up and, you know, douchey radio DJ guy was like, hey, Steve Fisher, Q101, what can I do for you? And I was like, yeah, can you play some Huey Lewis, man? And his response was, yeah, then I'll play some Vanilla Ice, dickhead. And he hung up on me. <laughs> he yeah. actually said that. <laughs> Seriously? And he hung up on me. You know, it's funny. I called Q101 up once and asked them to play some Ramones, and uh, they shut me down. Wow. They, they, those Suck guys have Q101. Is, well, <laughs> Q101 is not around anymore, I think, in its current – or in its – what it was at the time. So so there's a – I guess that's a Pyrrhic victory. Yeah, up yours, Q101. Up yours. That's right. So, But so I, I, I take great comfort in knowing that uh, – all of my closest and dearest friends have now seen Huey Lewis in the news in concert, which I think is awesome. There you go. So, Zachy, so you... I, I wish that we were together to have seen it, but uh, it, it's, it's awesome. They're awesome. show was awesome. They sounded great. No regrets. Well, we, we, we didn't get to see Huey Lewis, but we did, the three of us, we did get to see Back to the Future two years ago mm-hmm. when it was re-released uh, for, the, for the that 25th counts. anniversary. So, so that sort of counts. That does count. I suppose. So, uh, moving on, let's talk a little bit about this week's uh, movie headlines. Some some interesting okay. stuff that's been going on in La La Land. I wanted to. You know, I'd rather talk about these weird dreams I've been having. Oh, okay. Please no. go. Go for it. I, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Off the air. That'll be a separate podcast. Brian's dreams podcast. 
What? You ever you ever had the dream Sorry. where where you feel like your teeth are gonna fall out? Uh, no. Seriously, that I I've had that dream and it, it was a while ago and I still am like creeped out by that. You know you know the dream that I always have. I always have this dream that uh, I'm back in college and it's the uh, end of the semester and I haven't been to class once. And I'm like running all over the school trying to figure out where this class actually is because I know I have to show up at least once to pass. And uh, yeah, anyway, I have that dream a lot. I'll do you one better. The dream that I still have, to, I still have this reoccurring dream, is that I'm back in high school. I'm back in high school, and I I need to retake gym. <laughs> so you talk about like this is. I mean, that's like my recurring nightmare. All you gotta do is climb the ropes, Hassan. Yeah, it's that's your gym teacher. <laughs> it's kind that's of Coach that, Kaharski. That you sound like my coach, yeah. Uh, but moving on, Hollywood is the dream factory. Ah, ah. segue. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so let's talk a little bit about what's been going on. Uh, so, some some interesting stories broke. I, I actually just read this uh, earlier this evening that uh, they're getting set finally to do the big Jack Ryan reboot movie. Which uh, would be Jack Ryan's second reboot, I guess, because I thought I thought uh, the sum of all fears was was the big one. But they've they've locked in the cast. Have you guys been following this? Uh, a little bit. No, this is news to me now. Okay. Break yeah, it. Yeah, it's well, uh, uh, Chris Pine. I'm, you already know. I think that he's he's going to be the new Jack Ryan. Right. Uh, so so they have Kenneth Branagh directing. Interesting. And and he's the villain. Uh, I am, Kenneth, I'm on board with that. Yeah, yeah I, I, and I believe the villain is Kenneth Branagh. He's, he's <laughs> Kenneth Branagh as it, Kenneth Branagh in yeah, a Kenneth a, Branagh film. A, angry, angry uh, th- stage actor slash, you know, Bond, Bond villain, basically. Um, <laughs> but they got Kira Knightley as uh, Jack Ryan's uh, future wife. <laughs> I was mean, into Jack Ryan. Yeah, I was, it, I was. Yeah. Oh, I'm Kira Knightley. I'm marrying Jack Ryan. I am. So apparently I'll be the lone member of this podcast who is actually attracted to Kira Knightley. Oh, I'm I'm attracted to her. I just uh, uh, I'm attracted to her when she's annoying. It's 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 adorable. (laughs) I was in the Pirates of the Caribbean. I was. I was. (laughs) I. You know what's funny is uh, I I for the longest time I thought she was very cute. You know, and then I saw her on on the Tonight Show a couple of years ago. I want (laughs) to say, and and I think it was like it it was her her voice was so high pitched and shrieky that like I just. My ears shut off. So she's like, you know, it's like when your speakers burn out. So I was like, what what happened? I can't hear anything, you know. And ever ever since then, I've 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 uh, I've been very acutely aware of her voice. But but regardless, she is the the love interest. Uh, the the interesting thing that they're doing with hmm. with this uh, uh, with this relaunched Jack Ryan. And my my understanding is the movie is actually called Jack Ryan. Uh. Which which seems like it could cause confusion because there's the new Tom Cruise movie, Jack Reacher, which is Jack Reacher, yeah. yeah. Um, so I, I I I'm curious if they end up changing the title. But the interesting thing I read is that uh, they've got uh, Kevin Costner is going to play like Jack Ryan's mentor, kind of the I guess the James Earl Jones character from the previous movies. Okay. And they're what they're doing is they're kind of they're kind of setting him up as the Nick Fury character. Because they also want to have a separate John Clark franchise. They've been wanting to yeah. do that for a long time, though. Yeah, well, they've been talking about it. I guess now, though, they have an offer out to, to, to Tom Hardy 
to be John Clark. And I could totally see that. I think Tom Hardy's oh, yeah. this, you know, I could totally see that. So they want they want the Costner character to potentially be sort of uh be be uh making appearances in both that. Uh, I thought it was kind of interesting because because uh, some of all fears was ten years ago, and uh, which is crazy when you think about it. So in other words, there, there's been more time between uh, right now and some of all fears than between clear and present danger and some of huh. all fears. Wow. Which you know, I mean, it, that felt like a long time back then. Uh, but I liked some of all fears. I, I feel like I'm in the minority on that. There's a very solid. We saw that together. It was a very solid flick. We did see it. That's right. Yeah, we saw it. Yeah. We saw it the day before I graduated college. If you remember that. Yeah, good Jerry Goldsmith score too. A uh, good score too. Yeah, Brian, have you seen some of the Uh Yeah, I uh, I haven't seen it since it came out though, but I remember liking it. Uh, you know, you know what's interesting <laughs> is that is that some of all fears came out summer of '02. <coughs> Excuse me, that was late May, and mid June uh, we had another spy movie come out, uh, which starred uh, you know some of all fears starred Ben Affleck, and then a few weeks later was the the Born Identity, which starred Matt Damon. All right, I mean huh. it was literally they were weeks apart, and it's just funny how how the the Born series has just kind of done its own thing and launched, uh, you know it's it's become a brand unto itself, and then meanwhile some of all fears is kind of supposed to do that, and nothing really came of that. Interesting. I didn't realize uh, Born was that old. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Born. To, well, now, 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 Born. Of course, uh, we, we saw the the attempt by Universal a few weeks ago to relaunch that franchise, uh, albeit with with a spinoff, I guess, as opposed to a reboot. Uh, did you guys see the Born Legacy? No. No. Yeah. A- apparently, there was never just one. <laughs> that's that's. There was never just one, Brian. God, pay, <laughs> pay attention, will you? You know, th- that's actually the big problem I had with that movie. I I I didn't. I didn't mind it. I thought it was all right, but I, I felt like the whole series, the, the whole story, essentially de de uniques Jason Bourne by throwing this other character out there, you know. And and it was it's it it's it's almost like Jeremy Renner is too good to be sort of holding the door for Matt Damon. Mm. As, as much as I like Matt Damon, but it's just it it felt. It felt, you know, the the analogy I would make, you know, because when you when you put the born name on there, oh, this is the born blank. Well, we want Jason Bourne, right? And and you know, the the, the analogy I would make, I don't know if you guys remember this, but back in the early '90s, like in the late '80s into the early '90s, there was a series of Perry Mason TV movies. You guys remember this? So so they, every every couple of weeks, it was like a Perry Mason mystery. And, you know, it would be Raymond Burr as Perry Mason, you know. And uh, th- this, these were on NBC, I believe. And and Raymond Burr died in, in like, 94, I think. And so, obviously, that's the end of Perry Mason. Well, not if you're NBC because you're like, well, we've got this franchise and, you know, we want to keep it going. So what? rather than recast it because, you know, in the minds of most people, Raymond Burr is Perry Mason – they 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 decided to continue the brand, so they would say a Perry Mason mystery, you know, and whatever the yeah. the case of the the you know the pernicious puppet or whatever the hell you know, and, and I'm just I just made that up. I don't know if that, but for <laughs> it, it would be like oh uh, Perry Mason's out of town, but you know I'm I'm John Smith from down the the hall. Uh, I can help you with your case. Really? They'd, they'd actually acknowledge it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. They'd be, oh, he's he's off to lunch, so. Yeah, it was literally like that. So, th- so they did like you know, and they had like Hal Holbrook and a few of these other people, and and you're like, what the hell is this? I want Perry Mason, you know. Uh, Were they all old? 
Yeah, of course, because uh, who else watched those movies, right? <laughs> Most elderly law firm in the West. <laughs> yeah, ex- <laughs> exactly. You know, and and so so they basically. <laughs> So, so the, this lasted for like three, four weeks, and I think it eventually earned like a jeer in TV Guide, where they're like, "Guys, let it go," you know. And and th- that's what the Born Legacy felt like to me a little bit, where it's kind of like because they keep alluding to Jason Bourne, mm-hmm. right? So, so it's like, um, J- uh, what's his name? Jeremy Renner's character is, you know, he he's got his whole storyline. Basically, he's he's. His the program that he's a part of gave him like superpowers and whatever, and he needs to take some drugs to to balance that out or whatever. And, and Rachel Weiss is in there, uh, but but it, the, the way the story works, it's set sort of in parallel to the Born uh, Ultimatum. Ah, uh, stupid. Yeah. So well, I mean, it's not necessarily stupid. It could work, I guess. But no, it's, it's stupid. <laughs> well, it's I mean, it's 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 more than stupid. It's frustrating, right? Because because you'll have characters be like, oh, you know, Jason Bourne. We just got word he's in New York, and blah, blah, blah. and so we have like the Bourne ultimatum kind of happening in the background. So you keep on like wanting to like peek around the wall to see like <laughs> what's happening. Yeah, you, well, you want to like see what's happening over there because it's like when you think about it, because that's that's the most interesting story. And it, and when you look, when you go with the premise that oh well there was never just one it's like well then what makes Jason Bourne unique yeah right right it's 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 that whole thing right it's it's like it's like if we do a James Bond movie and we where James Bond is like hey I'm gonna go you know I, I gotta handle this do you do you want to handle this case 005 or whatever <laughs> you know and it's like well well James Bond what makes James Bond James Bond it's it's his bondiness or whatever. Uh, so I, th- that's what, that's what bothered me a little bit. Uh, uh, Can 005 be played by Kira Knightley? Oi, my name's Ke- <laughs> She has to be Kira Knightley, though. She has to be Kira Knightley as Kira Knightley. That's my new rule now for all British actors is that they have to play themselves. <laughs> but, yeah, that, that's my take on uh, on uh, the Bourne legacy, just based on what we were what we were talking about. Uh, other, other news very quickly. Last time, of course, we, we waxed uh, rhapsodic about Arnold Schwarzenegger and his uh, the, the considerable um, uh, signposts that he's left throughout our life. And, and this week we saw the release of the trailer for his new movie, which I'll be honest, I had no idea uh, he was even working on. Uh, I had no idea until I saw the trailer. Yeah. So I, I guess I should turn in my, my film buff credentials. But uh, it's The Last Stand, which just saw its trailer released. I've seen enough blood and death. I know what's coming. I'm not gonna let that guy come through our town without a fight. Very nice. How are you, Sheriff? Old. Go, go, go! Bring everything you got. Who the hell are you? I'm the sheriff. Uh, what do you guys think of the trailer? Um, I thought it looked uh, pretty interesting. I mean, after you know talking last week, where where we were saying that it it seems like there hasn't been an actor to take up Arnold's mantle. You know, he's sort of. Uh, one of a kind, and so there was something kind of cool about seeing Arnold being Arnold again. It looked like it might have some uh, good action in it. Um, 
then and then all of a sudden Johnny Knoxville shows up wearing like a funny hat. You know, you know what's funny is I, I it felt like Johnny Knoxville walked in off of the set of Walking Tall, where he you know Walking Tall with the Rock, where he plays the same guy basically. I mean, he looks like he walked off the set of Jackass. <laughs> You know, you know, I just I, want to know if Quippy was involved. He that, was. That's, that's the deal breaker. He was. Yeah. Quippy was involved. How do you feel, Sheriff? Old. <laughs> I think Quippy's old, based on the, <laughs> the quality of his the quality of his one liners there. <laughs> yeah, I, I saw I saw a picture of of Schwarzenegger um, without his shirt on, and he's got man boobs now. And I and, think. And, and I don't fault him, by the way. For I mean, whatever. He's 65. He's entitled to his man boobs. But it's just, it's definitely one of those things where you're like, oh, that means I'm getting old too, you know? I think I was I was more forgiving than you guys with this trailer. I was, you know, I was jumping out of my chair and pumping my fist and clapping my hands and saying yeah through the whole thing. It was just, it, I, and I'm with you, Zach. I had no idea this movie was even coming out, let alone like what, like four months from now or something. When does it come out? Uh, it's 2013. I don't know. I don't know when though. Oh, okay. Um, but yeah, the Johnny Knoxville thing was the only thing that took me out of it. But I mean, overall, just seeing him, even though you know there's probably going to be really bad co- stunt coordination and really bad CG stuff to try to make up for how old he is. Yeah. In a weird way, and I and I can't explain why I feel this way, but I kept thinking like this is a role that I could also see Clint Eastwood uh, playing. Yeah. You know what I mean? Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Would, well, Clint Eastwood maybe like 15 years ago. Yeah, which I just I love the idea that it's just like this old sheriff in this little dust bowl town and like they're the last line of defense from this, you know, what this drug cartel <clears throat> busting through the border and get, you know, trying to get in the states to do no good. Yeah. It's a re- it's a really cool premise and it, it quality-wise it was pretty impressive, I thought too. It it doesn't look like a Lionsgate movie to me. To me, the 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 word the the once I see the Lionsgate logo, I'm like, oh okay, uh, crap, dead ahead. <laughs> uh, generally speaking, I mean, uh, they, they have Judge Dredd coming out, which I'm I, I'm hoping is good, but but uh, as don't they you own, know, own Summit now? Don't they own Summit Entertainment now? Do they? So Twilight. Aren't they merging or whatever? Right? Isn't that the big yeah? Yeah. So so like I said, crap, dead ahead. Yeah, but they got a lot of money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I get, but you know, I mean, Lionsgate is—it seems like kind of a lower tier, um, lower tier studio. You know what I mean? It always makes me think of the Punisher movies. The, yeah, exactly. Those were Lionsgate. Yeah. Although I, yeah. st- man, you know, I will go to my grave defending Punisher Warzone, uh, which you know, which came out in two thousand eight, and it stars Ray Stevenson, and it's just, just bat crap, crazy, <laughs> insanely violent, and and I I like that movie, and people. Like they think I'm crazy, <laughs> but but I, I'm I'm telling you I I, I always it, there's there's a specific scene in that movie it, the the first twenty minutes of that movie are like an orgy of death, basically. <laughs> that, so so that to me like you either think that's awesome or, or horrible, and that's kind of the that's like the the perimeter. But but there's a there's a scene later on in the movie, and I think I've shown this to you guys. If I, I'm oh, yeah. pretty sure where where you have these these bad guys, right? And the, the, through the whole film, they're shown doing all this parkour stuff, and they're just jumping around and whatnot. And so we see them doing this whole 
thing where they're jumping over rooftops and it's like showing them in slow motion. They're arcing through the air and we're like, wow, you know. And then so you see this one guy jumping through the air in slow motion. And then you see this slow mo. So he's like on the left side of the screen. And then from the from the right side of the screen, as this guy is jumping through the air in slow motion, flipping around, this RPG makes its way to him and blows him to pieces. And you, piece, you see pieces of meat flying everywhere. And if if you do not laugh hysterically at that scene, then I, I don't even want to know you, frankly. Because <laughs> because that that's that's the Citizen Kane of of Punisher movies, right there. I'm I'm narrowing the the the, the bar there, but <laughs> but yeah, that that's that's Lionsgate, and of course they do the Expendables movies, which I, I haven't seen the second one, but uh, I, I would like to check that out. Uh, Hopefully before the next uh, before our next recording. Same here. Uh, so speaking of action movies, of course, uh, it's it's impossible not to talk about action movies without talking about the big news that broke just a couple of days ago, which is that Tony Scott, who is a director that has I would say impacted every uh, film that's come out kind of during our lifespan and our generation just by virtue of, of the, the mark that he, that he made. Uh, he, he passed away this past Sunday. He, he committed suicide, unfortunately. And what, what I wanted to do for this episode, rather than sort of do something very mournful and whatnot, I wanted to kind of have uh, an Irish wake right. where, where, we, where we are raucous and we sing the praises of the work he did and, and poke fun where it needs to be and really just reflect fondly on the mark that Tony Scott made on cinema, on this art form that, that the three of us love so much and that he obviously spent his entire uh, working life toiling away at. Yep. Great idea. Uh, so uh, my, my understanding now, – now the initial word about, about what happened is that uh, he had a, a brain tumor, but my, I guess since then it, it, that's been disconfirmed. So, so we still don't know exactly what, what, what happened and what led up to uh, him, him doing what he did, obviously. But what's what's somewhat – I don't know if it's ironic or appropriate or, or what, what you might say. I, I just literally – Two days before he passed away, I was watching Unstoppable on 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 HBO. Cool movie. And it, it's just a lot of fun, and you know that yeah. is Chris Pine, who we were just talking about, and and it's it's it was his fifth collaboration with Denzel Washington, and I was just watching right. that, and I was like, you know, this is a movie that really should not be as interesting as it is. Inter- you know, it's it's about a runaway train. Well, I mean, we've seen some variation of that at some point. And yet right. uh, Tony Scott had an ability to really bring a propulsive energy, a, a, a constant sort of cacophonous energy to, to everything that he did. And that, and that made even some of his lesser lights watchable. I don't, I don't think Unstoppable is, his, is a lesser light. I think that's as far as his career goes, that's not a bad way to end it. Um, but you know he 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 definitely had some ups and downs, but he 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 made his mark. I mean, uh, what what was your first exposure to to Tony Scott's movies? I'm assuming. I mean, for me, it was Top Gun. So I'm assuming that's probably where you guys started with them too. Yeah, I mean, uh, um, I mean, first of all, that that was really well spoken there, Zachy. Um, there would be no action movies without if it weren't for Tony Scott, and. Um, you know, for that, just as a fan and as a filmmaker and 
and as a storyteller and just a fan of action movies and a fan of movies in general, like I don't think any of us would be here if it wasn't for him or guys like him. Um, yeah, I mean, I remember seeing Top Gun <clears throat> uh, when it came out, probably on VHS or something like that. But at the time, I mean, what was that, 85, right? Top Gun was 86. 86, yeah. So I was like eight years old and not really understanding like, oh, it's a Tony Scott movie. I think my first exposure to Tony Scott as Tony Scott was uh, Last Boy Scout. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. Because I remember seeing, I remember that I saw it very shortly after I had seen the Lethal Weapon movies for the first time. Okay. Um, and at, at the time, there were two le- Lethal Weapons. Yes. Yeah. And so I just remember thinking like, oh man, like this Bruce Willis guy is so cool and oh, this Damon Wayans guy is so funny and oh, like all the, like the lights and the colors and like the, you know, the, his color palette and like the, the way he cranked up the fluorescent lights and the way he utilized lens flares and, and, (laughs) and long lenses and, um, you know, just like sticking the camera on the outside of a car during a car chase and like all this cool stuff. I was like, man, this movie is just so cool. Like I wanted, I wanted to be the characters in that movie, and and uh, what what year did Last Boy Scout come out? Last Boy Scout was nineteen ninety one. Right, so you know, probably hit me right at the right time because I was twelve going on thirteen. You know, so I was, you know, I, you know, as a kid who liked to write his own stories and shoot his own little movies and and do all that, like I wanted to be in a in an adventure like that. I just thought it was so cool, and then. <clears throat> You know, I think what was interesting about his early career was how different all of his movies were, going from something like The Hunger, which was a weird, gothy, you know, like, pseudo-sex-whatever kind of flick. Yeah, that one really sticks out as being unlike the others. That's kind of like that Sesame Street thing where you're like, which of these things? Yeah. You you jump from that, and then you do something like Top Gun, and then from Top Gun you do something like... um, I'm going to get the timeline mixed up, but what was right after Top Gun? Uh, yeah, Beverly Hills, Hills Cop, Cop 2. Beverly Hills Cop 2 was, uh, I believe that was 87. Uh, and then uh, uh, he did Revenge in 1990, which, which yeah. was, uh, that's a good flick. Um, Very underrated. I, I, I saw, you know, so I saw Top Gun for the first time <clears throat> in, ni- in 1989. Okay. Uh, so it was a few years after, you know, the hype. And, you know, the, the stories go about how, like, you know, Navy and Air Force recruitment, like, went up after Top Gun came out. And, right. And, and when you see it now, you realize, my gosh, it's, it's like, a, it's like a, a, a trailer for, for the, the, the services, you know, so you totally get that. Uh, but what, what I remember most is the, the use of music in, in a way. You know, it was very common in the 1980s, but I, I remember, right. like, that was where I really noticed it, where you had, you know, you had the Kenny Loggins song. And I remember yeah. specifically the – I just thought that the, the, the volleyball scene with uh, <laughs> the Kenny Loggins song was just the coolest. And, and I remember, cheap like – Cheap Trick, yo. It's Cheap Trick. No, Cheap Trick was um, – they did Mighty Wings. Oh, that's right. Playing with yeah. the boys, right? Playing that's with the, the boys. Volleyball. Playing yeah. with the boys was was the the volleyball song. Yeah, and I, I remember. Like, like this, is, everyone else watched that movie, and they were like, "I want to join the air force." I was like, "I want to play volleyball." <laughs> <laughs> so I, I remember volleyball with Rick Rosovich. Yeah, you know, and I realize now, like I, the the missing ingredient is I'm not gay, and I didn't see like the the. The homoerotic subtext. Like I found out later, like, oh, Top Gun is just like the gayest movie ever made. You know. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, really? You know, and then somebody pointed out all the, like, the homoerotic subtext, and I was like, oh, well, 
well, there we go. That's that's kind of interesting, you know. Uh, well, su- supposedly that movie was made based on a photograph. Okay. Um, paraphrasing the story, but because um, when when Simpson and Bruckheimer approached him to to direct Top Gun, um, Tony Scott wanted to wanted to make it Apocalypse Now on an aircraft carrier. He wanted to do something really sort of serious and epic and really thought provoking and you know very psychological and. They showed him this picture of a Navy pilot wearing sunglasses with the F-14 reflected in the sunglasses and, like, the sun setting behind him, you know, like an image that was from the movie. Um, and they're like, no, 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 we just want to do this. It's going to be cool. We want to show jets. We want it to be cool. Huh. You know, that was that was their thing. Just, you know, like, it, basically what it was was just promotion for the for the Navy and the Air Force. Yeah, Exactly. And so he took their, you know, he worked within their restrictions and made it something that became this worldwide phenomenon. And, you know, his career kind of took off from there. And he he made a career out of doing what he thought was cool and fun. And, I mean, my hat's off to, to a guy like that who pulled it off for so long. Yeah, it's, I mean... It... You know, he, and he definitely had some creative ups and downs, right? But, but because I, I remember seeing Top Gun, and then shortly thereafter, I saw Days of Thunder, uh, which is which the I, same movie. It's the same movie, <laughs> except with with stock cars. Yeah, and and I was kind of like, eh, you know, I never saw Days of Thunder. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I was pretty underwhelmed by it. Uh, it d- didn't really do anything for me, you know. My favorite movie of uh, his is Crimson Tide. Yeah, well, Crimson Tide, and I would say that Crimson Tide began kind of a, a really pretty stellar run. I mean, his that that was if we look at that as kind of like the second half of his career, uh, which is admittedly it's kind of an arbitrary point, but yeah, um, if 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 you divvy up his career, Crimson Tide is kind of the halfway point, and and I mean after that you had you know you had Enemy of the State, you had Spy Game, which is my right. my. That's probably out of out of his entire catalog. That's my favorite uh, film that he did. Uh, uh, we had Man on Fire. That's my favorite. Man on Fire. That was another great one. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, Deja Vu, which I went crazy about, and then, uh, well, actually, his last four of his last five movies starred uh, Denzel Washington. So, because because um, let's see, Unstoppable. Uh, before that was Pelham One Twenty Three. Right. Before that was Deja Vu. And, and then, then Domino. Uh, yeah, well, we won't talk about Domino. <laughs> I, I wasn't crazy about that one. And then, and then before that was Man on Fire. And then, and then of course he was in Crimson Tide. Uh, so, so we we can see that they obviously had a partnership that worked. And I think I think uh, it's very appropriate that the two of them work together so often because because Tony Scott, just by virtue of being involved with the movie, had a certain baseline of quality that he always brought. And I think Denzel Washington, as an actor, has that same baseline where he's never not watchable. Oh, absolutely. You know, and I, th- I think the two of them together work together very well. He, I think, I think Denzel Washington's the best movie star we have. He's my favorite movie star. I mean, I can watch him in anything, even if the movie sucks. He's great in it, and he's really only chosen a few stinkers. I think in his uh, on his resume there. Yeah, I, well, I think Den- like I said, uh, De- Deja Vu. Did you guys see Deja Vu? Yeah, yeah, I liked it up until the end when you find out that. Time travel is actually possible. <laughs> well, that's, I mean, that, that's like not even the end. That's like a third of the way in. Right, but I mean, it got, it got weird, but I was on board. At that point, I was like, ah, let's just see what happens. 
For me, that mo- there were two things. Uh, no, it, well, the problem with that movie, Brian, have you seen Deja Vu? Yeah. It, you know, it, it, and maybe I'm alone in this, but like it starts out as basically like a CSI episode. Yeah. Where you're like, oh my gosh, this explosion! We need to figure out what happened, and then and then Val Kilmer shows up, uh, enormous Val Kilmer. Yeah, he was fat in that movie. He he's a long way away from playing beach volleyball. <laughs> he he discovered the hostess company in between. He's he's a big fella. Batman ate Robin, you know all the jokes. Um, and and he shows up and he's like, hey Denzel Washington, help us out, like investigating this. And it's like, okay. And he's like, oh, we have the satellite thing, and it looks at everything. And you're like, uh, okay, that's that's okay, that's a little strange, but all right. And he's like, hey, this the satellite thing, like can look back in time. And you're like, uh, uh, <laughs> okay, I think. And he's like, hey, hey, uh, we can we can also go back in time. And at that point, you're like, what in what? <laughs> you know, it's it's like a CSI episode that turned into Quantum Leap halfway through. <laughs> so, but so they, Denzel they, so Washington the, is so is so watchable that you followed it through. Go ahead. Yeah, well, that's really what it is. I mean, I mean, Denzel is not never unwatchable. So you're kind of like, okay, I guess. And and of course, that has Paula Patton in it, right? Uh, which which is always, uh, you know, I, I I have no complaints about that. <laughs> so as as we've established uh, in in a previous episode. Uh, but but yeah, so I, I mentioned that Spy Game is is my is my all time favorite in in his catalog, and I think I think that's uh, a very underrated, underseen movie. Yeah, uh, you know, it just kind of came and went in two thousand one. But I, and I I posted this on my blog when I, I did a little bit of write up about about Tony Scott, where uh, I've I've watched that movie a bunch of times. I, I just I just enjoy watching it. I love the editing. I just love the filmmaking, and I think it really shows what happens when you. Put great actors uh, in a scene, and you and you have them working under a great director. Yeah, because that that movie, you know, it stars uh, Robert Redford and and Brad Pitt as a CIA handler and sort of his 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 uh, protege who he trains. And you know, you have just this this uh, amazing mm-hmm. chemistry between Pitt and Redford, and the way they play off each other, and then and then the way. Tony Scott plays with the the construction of of the scene around them. What are you telling me? Schmidt was bait? Yes. Nathan, they executed him on a cellar floor. It could have been you. Let me tell you something about Schmidt. He went to the Russians a week ago and said he had a contact, an American, somebody he could use. Don't tell me that. You didn't look in his eyes. Don't tell me that. He was your asset, somebody you use for information. Oh, Jesus Christ. You just... You don't just trade these people like the baseball cards. It's not a game. Oh, yes, it is. It's exactly what it is. And it's no kid's game either. This is a whole other game. And it's serious and it's dangerous. And it's not one you want to lose. All of them work together to really make it uh, you know, compelling in, in such a way where you don't realize until very late in the movie that because the film is, is told in a nonlinear fashion. So we have sort of a present day. We, well, we, it's the, the story itself is set in, in the early 90s, I believe. And that's the quote-unquote present day. And then it flashes back to Pitt and Redford's relationship. And so you don't realize until the very end that in the present, uh, Brad Pitt and Robert Redford never share the screen. Hmm. They, they, never, you know, they never interact with each other in the quote-unquote present. And yet we don't care. Yeah. yeah. Because it's executed so well. So to, to me, that's, that's uh, obviously it's, it's all arguable because I think he, he's done so many good films. But that, that's my... Uh, that's my personal favorite. Another one of his movies I really like is Enemy of the State. Yeah. 
which was the one he did just before that. And and I feel like that's that was uh, Will Smith's kind of uh, that was where he 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 became a star fully on his own merits. Uh, because because before then he had been in Independence Day, he'd been in Men in Black, and both of those were kind right. of gimmick gimmick movies, you know. But, right, right. But Enemy of the State was really <clears throat> that moment where he became an adult action star all his own. And ev- everybody and their mother was in that movie, like Jack Black, Seth Green, That's uh, right. uh, Jamie Jason Kennedy, Lee. Jason, Jason Lee, yeah. huh. Jason right. Robards, Gene Hackman, John Voight. John Voight, Lisa Bonet. <laughs> Lisa Bonet. Yeah. <laughs> Lisa Bonet, by the way, did you guys know that she's married to Jason Momoa? Uh, Conan, right? Yeah. Conan? Okay. Yeah. And, uh, and, and also, this uh, Zoe Kravitz from X-Men uh, First Class. That's her daughter. Oh, yeah. Really? Her and uh, Lenny yeah. Kravitz. Yeah. Huh. yeah. You didn't you didn't know that, Brian? I did not. Yeah. I I. I I looked her up because of the the last name, and yeah, she's she's uh, the daughter of Lisa Bonet and Lenny Kravitz. So, so now you know you can uh, pay that forward, impress your friends at parties. <laughs> you know who uh, Zoe Kravitz is. You know, between get between. away from me, <laughs> get away, get um, out. Uh, Brian, what about you? Your 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 favorite Tony Scott memories? Uh, I guess my first memories would be Top Gun. Okay, and uh, you know I did enjoy his uh, the films in the, the latter part of his career with uh, you know like Unstoppable and uh, Domino to a degree. I mean I, I respect that must have been difficult to edit, <laughs> but um, I think for me my favorite uh, period of films from him is sort of from his middle era. Like I said, you know my favorite movie of his is Crimson Tide, and I think why I like the films from that era. Uh, Crimson Tide, True Romance, is uh, without all the crazy colors and filters and super crazy editing, they still had this like ferocious intensity. Yeah, you know, in, yeah. in Crimson oh, yeah. Tide, I mean, it's there's like no car chases. You know, it's it's all arguing on a submarine, and it's so intense. Like that scene hmm. where Denzel Washington is trying to assume command of the boat. You know, and and uh, you got the, uh, the the I believe the SO officer like trying to decide who he's supposed to listen to, whether it's Denzel Washington or Gene Hackman, and it's just filmed. You know, they they're all sweaty and there's these canted angles, yeah. and they're just yelling at each other. You know, Denzel just like, all right, it's time for me to take over the boat. Okay, okay, no, I am assuming command, and Gene Hackman just like, will you just step down? And uh, and, you know, and then the, the SO officer just in the middle, just like, I don't know what to do. Captain, I cannot concur. Repeat my command. Sir, we don't know what this message means. Our target package could have changed. You repeat this order or I'll find somebody who will. I don't know you won't, sir. You're relieved to your position. Cobb, remove Mr. Hunter from the control room. Get no, Lieutenant sir. Zimmer in here no, right sir. now. No, sir, I do not concur and I do not recognize your authority to relieve me under command under Navy regulations. Cobb, arrest this man Captain and get him out of here. Under operating procedures governing the release of nuclear weapons, we cannot launch our missiles unless both you and I agree. Cobb, now, what are you waiting for? Authority, sir. This is expressly why your command must be repeated. It requires my assent. I do not give it. And furthermore, you continue upon this course and insist upon this launch without confirming this message no, first. Bitch. I will be Chief forced back by the rules of precedence. Captain, commanding officer of the USS Alabama. Yeah, the the uh, the later films are are still fun for me, but I think I I really enjoy the middle films of his the most. 
Yeah. So, well, now, now that's interesting because because that stylistic shift that he made, and and I, I would say that uh, it, it was most pronounced in you know Domino. Yeah. On on what what do you think prompted that? I mean, was that him trying to keep pace with some of the people who've come up behind him, who arguably he inspired? I mean, I don't think we would have a Simon West or Dominic Sena or Michael Bay or any of these guys. Absolutely not. Yeah. Uh, if if not for Michael, uh, excuse me, if not for Tony Scott and and arguably Ridley Scott, but but de- definitely Tony Scott. Well, there was a, there was an interesting uh, write up on Tony Scott on uh, Grantland dot com. Um, you can you can find it. It's linked on like the ESPN website. Uh, and the guy who wrote it, you can tell, was obviously a real true fan. And he linked to another article that was a debate on who's the better director, Ridley Scott or Tony Scott. Because um, Ridley Scott's catalog is very very eclectic, very diverse. <laughs> very diverse. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and uh, he brought up a good point. He was saying that like the. His, in his opinion, Ridley Scott's best movie since 2000 was Black Hawk Down. Okay. And he says it's interesting because Black Hawk Down, out of all Ridley Scott movies, is the one movie that could easily be a Tony Scott movie. Oh, yeah, that's a good point. The, the way well, that it looks, not, the way that it's shot, the way that it's just so the he, overall so construction. He's, so he's saying that the best, Ridley Scott's best since, because I'm not sure I agree with that. I, I think Ridley Scott's output has been pretty continuously solid. You know, I mean, I, Kingdom of Heaven, I think, uh, yeah, yeah. is a fantastic movie. I think uh, uh, Prometheus, Sean. I know, I know you you love Prometheus. <laughs> well, well, <laughs> I, I did that. To, I did that to poke the bear a little bit. But uh, Sean, I mean, Sean, I, did, I, Sean did not like Prometheus. And we'll, I'll, 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 I'll go into that in another episode. I don't yeah, want to well, waste waste breath on it here. But I think I think that, that that guy that blogger brings up an interesting point is that you know when you when you're asked like you know name five great directors three great directors five great whatever like Tony Scott isn't isn't the first name that comes to mind and he's not even like the fourth fifth or even sixth name that comes to mind yet like this guy like you were saying Zachy like this guy inspired so many people the, the Michael Bay's of the world and. You know, there was obviously there had to have been you know some sort of healthy competition between him and his brother, but For like, sure. I mean, the, this guy like changed the landscape of of an entire genre, which is just an amazing, amazing thing. And like, think about it, not just the from from a directorial point of view, but like, we wouldn't have like like composers like Harry Griggs and Williams or you know Mark Mancina or Trevor Rabin or guys like that. You know, without Tony Scott movies. Yeah, no, I, I think that's true. I, it, it's you know, he he changed the 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 rhythm of film. I would say. Yeah, the rhythm. Yeah. Um, and 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 like I said, I mean, it, I it my inclination is to sort of mention him in the same breath as his brother because I think they've both been impactful in that way. But but I would say that that. Um, they 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 were going towards different ends. I, th- I think that Ridley Scott yeah. is a, a painter, and and he wants to sort of compose images uh, in in a very artistic way. Whereas I think Tony Scott, he, he, you know, my my sense of him, he was like a journalist where he takes a picture of what's there. Well, he he studied photography when rather he didn't necessarily want to get into film school. He was just fascinated with photography at first. 
and which, which makes sense because his movie, you know, it's, his movies are all about you know the look and the feel and the cool factor and the sleekness of everything. Yeah, yeah, it's it's uh, the the two of them are are, equ- are equally impactful, but I think I think in very different ways. I I uh, I'm reminded, you know, just as we're talking about how. Um, uh, Joe Carnahan was was also somebody who, who oh absolutely yeah who who was inspired by him and I would say of all the of all the sort of post Tony Scott directors I think that to- Joe Carnahan has the most claim to sort of that 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 crown or that title you know being sort of the next Tony Scott easily yeah you know because because when you think about it like look at Michael Bay I mean he's obviously one of the most successful directors out there and and I have students who are madly in love with. Michael Bay, you know, they're, they're, they they cite him the way we would cite Spielberg or, <laughs> or, or Coppola, you know, which is just fascinating because because I just don't understand that. I I really I respect the fact that he's you know made a career for himself, but I just I I don't I don't view Michael Bay as a storyteller because he he that he has no storytelling in his films. At, at least that that's my sense. I mean I mean to me he stopped telling stories after The Rock. Yeah. He's just a showman. Yeah, right. exactly, and that's fine. He's a great showman. Yeah, and and it's but it's just not for me. Uh, you know, I I, I liked uh, I, I like the first Transformers. I've seen the second and third one, and you, you know, I, I, the second Transformers movie was like it was just a depressing thing for me because as I was watching it, that was the moment where I felt myself sort of aging out of the demographic. <laughs> like halfway through I was like, I'm too old for this now. That was one of the few Damn. movies I've almost walked out of the theater on. Yeah, yeah. Well I I stayed because I'm just a, I'm a soldier, you know. And and it's you know, the the there there's a point in there where all the 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 constructicons, you know, they're the the they're all the construction vehicles. They all form together and they become Devastator, which is the giant multi transformer. And honestly, my my eyes just like stopped functioning as I was <laughs> like they stopped being yeah. able to make anything out. And, yeah. and so people are like, oh, you know. And, and then uh, what's his name? Uh, John Turturro. He's like telling. He's like radioing for help. And they're like, where are you? And he looks up, and there's the two uh, wrecking balls over his head, <laughs> which are dangling between the monster's legs. And and I'm like, don't say it. Don't say it. Don't say it. And he's like, I'm under the. I'm under its scrotum. <laughs> and I, I, you know, that was where I I almost Jeez. did walk out. You know, and and it, and that was. I, I want some of my students told me this. Oh, we went to see that in IMAX. And I said IMAX, like I, my, my eyes would have just shorted out, <laughs> like light bulbs. You know, between between Keira Knightley's voice and Michael Bay's imagery, you put you put the two of them together. You know, it senses shattering in a bad way. Uh, but but he's clearly. I mean, you look at The Rock, right? And The Rock is is very much out of the Tony Scott wheelhouse. Oh yeah. You know, and and I I think that was the same year The Rock came out. If I'm not, uh, the Crimson Tide came out. If I'm not mistaken, ninety six. The The Rock was ninety five. Was Crimson Tide ninety five? Yeah. Oh, okay. That that sounds right. Because because for a while there, uh, uh, Jerry Bruckheimer had like a movie, a big summer movie, yeah. every year because because he had Crimson Tide and then The Rock and then the next year was of course um, uh, Con Air. Con Air. And that was Simon mm-hmm. West. That was that was ninety seven, ninety eight. Armageddon. Was, 
98 okay. was Armageddon. 99 was um, was uh, uh, Gone in 60 Seconds. Right, right. You know, th- there was a while there where Nicolas Cage was like the guy in in every action movie. <laughs> Which I I just watched uh, uh, Ghost Rider again recently. Why? Uh, well, it was on TV, and I'm an, I'm an idiot. And have you guys have you guys seen Ghost Rider? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I have not seen the you, uh, Brian. You have not. No. Oh, you're you're missing out, brother. No, you're not. <laughs> I don't believe you. <laughs> that that movie. I mean, this, that that movie is so ridiculous that okay, it 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 starts out in in the past. So we have uh, you know Nic- Nicolas Cage as a teenager. And he he has uh, you know he he has like this this star-crossed love affair with this girl, and then he ends up having to sell his soul to the devil to save his dad, and then whatever. And anyway, he ends up becoming ghostwriter, right? So so that's like the past. That's like the prologue, and then we cut to the present where um, the girl has turned into Eva Mendez. Meanwhile, <laughs> uh, the guy has aged like twenty additional years. <laughs> and turned into Nicolas Cage. <laughs> They're the same age as teenagers. Suddenly, Eva Mendes, Nicolas Cage. <laughs> you know, and that, that's <laughs> that's. I mean, that, that, I think there's a thing online where somebody has like a mix of just just the total insanity that that uh, Nicolas Cage brings when he's he's just acting acting the acting the crazy. Yeah. You know, there's bees, bees in my mouth. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> See, when you said that, Sean, I pictured a Homer Simpson. <laughs> where, where he's like, and the, the bees and the dogs, and they bark and they shoot bees at you. <laughs> um, uh, no, but but in 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 the in Ghost Rider, uh, which is directed, by the way, by Mark Steven Johnson, who did uh, Daredevil. Movie, I feel course, another segue. It, well. That that segue we'll get to, but but so so he was already kind of out of his depth, and I feel bad for Mark Steven Johnson because he just he seems like a genuinely nice guy, and he's so passionate about the material. It's hard to like hate on the guy, you know what I mean? Uh, but there's just such goofiness in Ghost Rider because like at at one point he's uh, he 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 eats uh, uh, jelly beans out of a wine glass, and. And this is that's just one of these weird character things that I just I for some reason I picture him going to the director and being like you know you know what I think uh, Mark Mark you know I'm thinking uh, my character he's very <laughs> conflicted and you know he's got the Ghost Rider curse and you know I think you should express that by eating jelly beans out of a wine glass <laughs> and I picture Jeez. Mark Steven Johnson looking at him for about ten seconds and just kind of being like. <laughs> All right. <laughs> what, what, whatever. <laughs> you know? But but yeah, Mark Steven Johnson did did uh, Daredevil, which he managed to kill that franchise to the degree. Actually, he didn't kill that franchise. Uh, the, what killed that franchise was the movie that came uh, three years later, which uh, Brian Hall had a hand in. Electra. Which which, which was Electra. Yeah. The, Electra is the movie that Brian. That was your first movie, Brian. Uh, second. Oh, that's right. Okay, your first big movie. Yeah. Ar- well, arguably, big being a relative term. And and uh, uh, I remember we all went to see it together, and we sat through the credits, waiting for your name. That never came. <laughs> yeah. What I remember about that movie is repeatedly glaring over at Brian because I think I think you were two people down from me, and I just kept glaring and silently swearing. And I remember uh, feeling your gaze. <laughs> 
You know, Bri- you know what the Brian problem with that movie like, is? Though? What's that? So, do you know what the problem with that movie is? Uh, there is just one. It's not directed by Tony Scott. Ah, uh, there we go. That's ah. true. <laughs> Man, Tony Scott <laughs> would have done an amazing job. That's true. And and actually, to that point, I mean, when you when you look at the first Daredevil, look, I mean, there's another. It's it's obvious he's trying to give it that that washed out uh, kind of uh, metallic look that that Tony Scott sort of pioneered. Yeah. Uh, we also saw that, by the way, in uh, Payback. All right. Um, which is uh, that was directed by John Woo. Uh, no, no, John Woo. No, no, you're thinking of Paycheck. Paycheck. No, uh, Wu was uh, what's his name? Um, John John Hensley, right? Pay, payback? Was it Hensley? No, John. No, something. H- Hensley did. Uh, Hensley Brian Helgeland did Payback. Helgeland, that's it. Hel- yeah, uh, Jonathan Hensley did uh, the Punisher, the first Punisher. Right. Or the second Punisher, the Thomas Jane one. Yeah, whichever, it doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah, well, one of one of them. Uh, you I, know? Don't, I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> whatever. Um, but uh, b- just a brief uh, tangent on the Daredevil thing. Uh, Daredevil is, of course, going back to uh, Marvel because uh, Fox couldn't uh, pull their stuff together. The interesting thing about that, though, is that they were briefly contemplating a reboot, uh, mm-hmm. and, and then and then the, the clock just ran out. But they had actually gotten Joe Carnahan on board uh, to to do the reboot. Yeah. Uh, Did you guys see that sizzle I, I, reel? I, yeah. I did, I did, yeah. I did see that that uh, Carnahan put together. It was, well, and and his idea was to take Daredevil and set it in the seventies. I think I think it's a great idea. I, I think that's well, it's it's interesting. I mean, I I don't know I don't know how how smart that is for the character because it it situates him in a specific time, which maybe you don't want to do. Yeah, but I think if you're if you're setting up the like a Marvel Knights universe, I think it can exist independently from you know the Avengers universe that's been set up. Sure, sure. Well, and and that's the interesting thing because now that now Daredevil's back at Marvel, so they they have. I mean, they they've got Punisher back. They've got Blade. They've got uh, they've got Moon Knight and Power Man and Iron Fist and and Shang Chi and all the all the second tier sort of street level characters. So they could really uh, they could just as easily set up kind of a a sub Avengers uh, universe of of interconnected characters and do something interesting with that. You know who Joe Carnahan's a fan of. Who's that? Tony Scott. He's not just a fan of him. I mean, he 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 spoke very highly of him. He's a, he's a disciple. He's a disciple. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> he 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 sent out a series of tweets uh, uh, when when Tony Scott died, just really singing his praises. And I, I I'm not. They they have a connection. They have a professional connection, which I'm trying to think about. Um, I know Tony Scott produced produced a team. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, which Carnahan. And the gray. And, oh, and the gray. Okay, but but had they? I mean, did they have a connection before those two? Well, Smoke and Aces looked like a Tony Scott movie because it came out at the time when he was doing that sort of you know hyper cutting, super saturated fluorescenty crazy cutting style movies like Domino and like Man on Fire. Then uh, let's not forget that uh, he did that BMW short with Clive Owen. Remember when Clive Owen did those BMW That's shorts? That's right. The Hire. Yeah. Yeah, and the Tony Scott one was where he's racing against uh, the devil, played by Gary Oldman. And he's got James Brown with him. That's right. That's remember? right. I do remember yeah. that. Yeah, th- those are those were great. Yeah, those were really cool. And Joe Car- Joe Carnahan did one of those as well. Joe Carnahan did, I would say, the best one from what I remember. Yeah, it was the organ donor one, right? That's right. With, yeah. with Don Cheadle and Ray Liotta. Yeah. <laughs> did Did Scott Free have anything to do with Narc, which was kind of Joe Carnahan's breakout movie? 
only there was a tool we could have access to. to yeah, so, some find kind of database. Yes, uh, where you can look up movies on the internet, perhaps. That's right. I, hmm. I, I, an internet movie database. <laughs> you should invent that. <laughs> no time. Uh, uh, Narc was uh, produced by Tom Cruise. Yeah, the, actually, Narc had twenty-one producers per Wikipedia. So, wow, One. wow. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, very quickly, though, we, we, we've got a few minutes left. I, I wanted to get your thoughts on this because I, I'm excited by this. They're re-releasing Raiders of the Lost Ark to theaters. For the first time ever, Indies in IMAX. Indiana Jones. Always knew someday you'd come walking back through my door. Experience the ultimate adventure like never before. Fully restored from the original 35mm print. Any questions? Raiders of the Lost Ark. Ready PG. Exclusive IMAX one-week limited engagement. September 7th through 13th. Tickets on sale now. Buy them here today. And I Raiders, guess I'm the only one. <laughs> Raiders of the Lost Ark. What? Who's in that again? <laughs> it's a... Tom Selleck. Yes, Tom Selleck. The Tom Selleck movie. Right. The, Tom, the, the almost Tom Selleck movie. <laughs> I'm, it's somewhere in an alternate universe. Tom Selleck is yeah, Indiana the, Jones. The, the, the uh, last action hero dimension, right, where uh, <laughs> where Stallone was in Terminator. Remember that? Uh, yeah, just recently, a friend and I went and uh, caught Raiders in the theater. Uh, Arclight Cinemas uh, was having a series where they had their members oh, no way. vote for, like, the top ten movies that they would want to see on the big screen again. And uh, Raiders was one of them. And, man, I, you know, I don't know if this is the same print that they're going to show for this uh event uh, probably because uh, it looked you know completely restored like like it was brand new and uh but it, it, mm-hmm. as unbelievable as the image was even more so the sound just sounded unbelievable in like a modern theater like hearing those over the top you know punching sounds and those mm-hmm. crazy you know loud gunshots and it it was just uh totally worth the price of admission definitely worth checking out in the theater now this 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 was not the showing where Spielberg was kind of riffing on, on how much he, how, how he wasn't happy with Kingdom of the Crystal Skull and no, how, uh, no, I think that was, was uh, some screening that was like a, a year ago. Oh, is that right? Where, where, where he did his George Lucas impression? <laughs> yeah, which is the same, which, was, which is the same as everybody else's George Lucas impression. <laughs> which is hilarious because it's exactly like the impression that you've been doing for all these years. <laughs> I think, yeah, I forwarded you the clip because I was like, look, dude, Spielberg does the same Lucas as you. Yeah, Spielberg is like, yeah, you know, uh, George will call me up sometime. And he's like, hey, hey, Steve, uh, how's it going? <laughs> and I'm like, man, Spielberg, like he just picks on his friend, you know? <laughs> now, it's it's interesting because they, they're re-releasing Raiders, which I'm just hugely excited about. They're also going to have like Indiana Jones Saga Day where they're going to have all four movies playing back to back to back. Uh, at at AMC, I think, which hmm. I, I I don't have the ability to do that, but I, I would love to catch Last Crusade in, on the in the oh, theater. Yeah, sure. um, but but they also uh, they showed uh, um, they showed Jaws also. They had like a one night event um, at at uh, Cinemark, I believe, where they showed that, or yeah. maybe they are showing. <laughs> yeah, um, I was I was going to mention. Uh, and, I picked up the Jaws Blu-ray that came out this past week. Oh my gosh! Yeah, yeah. I, I, I watched about ten minutes of it, and I was just yeah. It, it looks amazing. Yeah, it's ridiculous. They did a hell of a job. So you must be very excited about ET, Brian, because I know that's your favorite movie, or that was your first movie that you saw, I believe, in the theater. Yeah, 
Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm excited to check that out. I mean, E.T. is one of my top three movies of all time. Uh, has a very special place uh, in my movie heart. And, um, I'm, yeah, I'm excited to see it, uh, you know, restored and uh, in HD. I think it's going to look amazing. Are they putting the guns back in the, the, the Fed's hands, or is it still flashlights? No, it's guns. No, it's going to be uh, that interview that Zachy brought up that Spielberg did a year ago. He talked about how he was done um, making changes to his films, oh, and he's only him. going to be releasing original versions. Yeah. Yeah, he even brought it up to the audience there. And he took a vote, yeah, right? exactly, yeah. and uh, said, you know, who, who in favor of on the Blu-ray release, which version do you want to see? And of course, overwhelmingly, everyone wants to see the original version. Are you listening, George Lucas? Yeah, well, I'm, I'm wondering <laughs> if Spielberg was like, unlike some people, <laughs> you know, and they're like, man, what a jerk, you know. Uh, I remember when, I remember when they re-released ET, and that was that was 1982. They re-released it to theaters. 2002. And nobody, came out in 1982. It, well, it came out in 82. Oh, right. So the 20th anniversary, 2002. And it came out and, and nobody watched it. I did. <laughs> well, but, and were, you were alone in the theater, I'm, I'm assuming, right? Yeah, I took my parents. What, what, what I remember most is that there was a lot of expectation that re-release would do well, and it didn't really do much of anything. And, and number one, that struck me like, I think to me, to E.T. Is, is very much a time capsule more than it is a timeless movie. Uh, I think it's mm-hmm. very much a, 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 a representation of that specific era. I mean, uh, Carlo Rambaldi just passed away, who, you know, he, he designed the E.T. puppet. And I, th- I think the E.T. puppet, it, it, it holds up reasonably well as, as long as you remember, well, this is from 1982. Right. Uh, I don't know. Uh, maybe, maybe I'm wrong about that, Brian. I mean, what do you think? Uh, well, I think so. I mean, it's hard for me to be objective about it just because I – you know, loved the film so much, but, uh, you know, I mean, there are certain weaker moments in the film, the seams are showing, but, uh, there's so many more amazing moments, uh, his eyes, the pupils in his eyes that dilate and, uh, he has this pulse on his temples and just so many little details that, uh, make him seem like he's alive. I don't know. They still work for me. Yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to rewatching. You know what I what I remember about the re-release ten years ago is there was a there was an article in the Onion where you know at the time there was a big multimedia push where they had put toys out and everything for ET and uh, the, the article in the Onion said you know ET toys uh, being forced on uninterested children <laughs> by their parents you know and I, I could totally see that where the kids are like well it doesn't even have rockets or anything you know it doesn't shoot lasers. But uh, uh, we're we're getting close to the end here, so I just I want to I want to make sure we leave enough time to to wrap things up. Uh, Sean, where can yes. folks find you online? What's your what's your what's your port of call on the interwebs? Well, uh, as always, you can check out all three of us at www.mrboyproductions.com. That's m r b o y productions.com. Check out all. Do we of re- our- do we need to say www anymore? Really, I mean, at the, this many years into the internet, does that really need to happen? I'm gonna do it. <laughs> off. <laughs> Fair enough. That's our first curse word, by the way, kitties. So, Yay. so we're we're na- we're now now uh, we got an explicit tag. <laughs> not safe for work. Um, <clears throat> yeah. So, Mister Mrboyproductions.com. And my personal blog is www.moosehub.com. 
And Brian, where is your blog? Which, by the way, you have not posted on in a few weeks. Yeah, I know. Actually, you can find me at uh, http colon slash slash www dot sexy boy. That's b o i dot com. You're gonna send? I don't know where you're sending people. So, oh, I didn't even think about that, guys. I am just kidding. That is not really my website. I'm not responsible for whatever you find there. Okay. Actually, you can find me at uh, everythingbrian.blogspot.com. Um, and hey, Zachy, I think you, you you still have a blog, don't you? Aren't you still okay, doing the, the whole I, blog I, thing? I I just went to the 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 website that Brian sent us to, <laughs> and thankfully that does not exist. So it oh. does. All right, well, it will now. I'm going straight to GoDaddy, and I'm claiming that. Yikes! Uh, you can find me at. Zackyscorner.com. That's Z-A-K-I-S corner.com. And that's where I post my thoughts on politics and movie reviews and whatnot. You can also send us emails at pretty much any of the, the websites that, that um, we've mentioned. Uh, yes. On that note, we, we got a little piece of mail uh, in regards to our last episode that I wanted to address. Oh. So this is, this is from Corey, who wrote, Dear Movie Film. First-time writer, long-time listener. So he's been with us uh, for the long haul. He says, in the beginning of your second podcast, you were discussing the new James Bond movie. Now, I'm a big fan of the Daniel Craig Bond films and looking forward to Skyfall. But a friend of mine brings up a good point, and I was wondering if you could ask the movie film crew their opinion and talk about it on the next podcast. Get out of here. What? Yeah. Okay. Here we go. go. Well, go he, needs to, he needs to ask his question. Yeah. James Bond is always portrayed as a younger, smoother, handsome, suave, womanizer, etc. But Daniel Craig isn't playing that Bond. My friend says, despite that the Daniel Craig Bond films are really good movies, because Craig isn't the Bond we all know, they shouldn't be called Bond films, just some other action films. What are your thoughts? I thought this was really interesting, but let's, let's get your thoughts first, and then, and then I, can, I can chime in. You want to go first, or should I? Uh, I'll go first because I feel like I'm probably the least versed in the uh, James Bond universe. So we'll we'll begin with me, the least versed, and we'll uh, work our way up to Zaki, the most versed. You know, I've seen a few of the Sean Connery films, I've seen a few of the Pierce Brosnan films, and I've seen all of the Daniel Craig films. And uh, I don't know the way that I look at them is sort of like the Batman films, where you have this character, but through the years and as media changes and entertainment and culture and whatever changes, you know, the things around the character change, but the, uh, the character, the certain characteristics remain, uh, the same. And so it doesn't, it doesn't bother me. This is just our current cultural climates interpretation of James Bond. And, and also another way I guess to look at it is this is James Bond in the beginning and he's becoming the character uh, who we've seen in the previous films who's more confident. You know, right now we're watching him become that guy. And if we stick, you know, with Daniel Craig and uh, with this timeline that they've got going now, I mean, maybe he will evolve eventually more into that person uh, as these movies go along. So, but uh, yeah, I'm, I'm a fan. Sean, what do you think? Uh, well, first of all, uh, Corey, thank you for writing in. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it, it definitely feels like when... Uh, when Casino Royale came out, that they were sort of establishing James Bond in, I guess, just call it a real, more realistic universe than the other Bond movies. And I believe that character as a guy who is trained in special forces, you know, he's got to be, you know, a rough and tumble, 
hard ass kind of guy to to be who he is. But at the same time, I think Daniel Craig is a talented enough actor that he pulls off smooth and charming just as well as he pulls off, you know, dark and disturbed. And and I don't know. I mean, I, I think it's just. Uh, I think it was a good choice. And and my take is that it's just because of of uh, like what, what Brian was saying, the interpretation of the character and the universe in which he lives. Like he's not a James Bond that that relies on you know John Cleese and uh, the other actor who who played was it Q M D- Desmond Llewellyn. Yeah, Desmond, Desmond Llewellyn, Llewellyn was the original Q. Yeah. Yeah, Although there's a, there's a new Q now who's like a twenty uh, something, you know. Right, but I mean those, those like you know the, the Brosnan movies and the Connery and the Roger Moore and Lazenby and Tim, like uh, those it was it was all like a, a campy it was almost like Batman James Bond was almost like campy Batman like here's your your James Bond boomerang and your James Bond you know elephant repellent and your James Bond bad guy radar and your James you know it was like a device for every occasion which at the time worked but i don't think that audiences would be would quite be buying into something like that Nowadays. well to to the point about interpretations i i think it's worth you know when i first saw casino royale the the thought that struck me was this is the first actor i've seen playing bond since connery who i believe is playing the same character connery played and I didn't feel that way about any of the others to the same extent, right? You you buy into it, right? You you buy into this idea that well, it's different interpretations, right? So in other words, uh, you know, Dean Cain is playing Superman and Christopher Reeve is playing Superman. They're still Superman, even though the, the, everything about them is vastly different. That's how I felt with all the other Bond actors because Pierce Brosnan had a different approach to the character than obviously than Connery did. Pierce Brosnan had a different approach to the character than Timothy Dalton, who was different from George Lazenby, etc. I, I look at I look at Craig and what I see in him and what what I find most appealing about his version of the character is that there's there's an animal intensity. Mm-hmm. And the idea is that Bond, and th- and this was an idea that that Fleming, that Ian Fleming put in the novels, right? The idea that Bond is kind of barely civilized. This in, I mean, not to say he's like Conan the Barbarian, but this idea that he is a weapon who has been trained to give the illusion of civility, right? And and I think that's 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 a key thing, you know. And and uh, uh, Tom Tom Mankiewicz, who 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 wrote um, he wrote Diamonds Are Forever, and he wrote Live and Let Die, and, and the Man with the Golden Gun. So he wrote Connery. And more, you know, and he talked about the difference between Roger Moore's take on the character and Sean Connery. And he said that Sean Connery, the thing with him is that he had that intensity. He had that, um, uh, the, the, what's the word I'm looking for? He, that, that, there was kind of a, uh, a, cru- a, a well, I was going to say cruelty. Uh, there's a cruelty Moxie? to him, right? He, ha- he has spunk. You got spunk. To, yeah. To, to quote Lou Grant. Yeah. He, he, um, Mankiewicz made the point that you know you you could see uh, Connery like sitting at the dinner table with with the love interest or with like the 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 Bond villain the villain girl and he'll be like kissing her and then he'll like stab her under the table you know right and 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 that's harder that was harder to pull off with Roger Moore right so, so in other words even from one actor to the next minus a reboot you're still seeing changes in how they're played because because the actors are different. And and you couldn't you couldn't have put Connery in 
in Moonraker. The same way you couldn't have put Roger Moore in uh, From Russia with Love. You know, it's just uh, there's different variations on that. So when we when we talk about this idea of Daniel Craig being so far off the reservation, well, I don't see that that way. I see him as very much in line with what Connery set set out as a baseline of. I, I it's very easy for me to look at Quantum of Solace. And and look at uh, from Russia with Love and see the same character, even though they're played by different actors. So so that th- that's that's kind of how I would respond to that. I, I think I think the, yeah. So but, suck it, Corey's friend. <laughs> well, I mean it's 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 an interesting <laughs> point, right? It's it's kind of like in in the comic books, right? If you, if you look at the way uh, characters are portrayed over over decades in comic books. Right. I think James Bond is the closest thing we have to that in movies. It's like, well, the the times changing necessitate the characters changing. Right. But it doesn't mean that, you know, Archie in the 80s versus Archie's in the 2010s versus Archie in the 1930s is very, very different, but it's still Archie. So it's kind of the same way. Lousy Riverdale punks. That's That's right. <laughs> and on that note, that's as good a time as any to say that pl- you are always welcome to send us some mail and ask yes, us some questions. We'd, we'd love to riff on it. Uh, at, at, uh, I haven't set up a dedicated email account, but you can email me personally at zacky at zackyscorner.com. And as I said, we'd love to wax uh, poetic on whatever you send us. And uh, So please feel free to do that. On behalf of my friends at Mr. Boy Productions, Sean Coyle and Brian Hall, my name is Zaki Hassan. This is the Movie Film Podcast. We will see you next time. Welcome, friends. It's the movie.